the homeschool enthusiast. This is the podcast inspiring a generation of parents and students to escape public school prisons, develop a passion for lifelong learning, and promote family as the center of an education. At the homeschool enthusiast, we believe the best learning happens outside a classroom and that every student has unlimited God-given potential. And here's your host, entrepreneur and proud homeschool graduate, Noah Tetzner. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Steve Demi, the creator of Matthew C., a wonderful math curriculum, and the founder of Building Faith Families, a ministry that teaches principles of building a Christian home on God's word with Christ as the cornerstone. Mr. Demi, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Noah. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. But before we begin today, I should just say that I love listening to your podcast, Building Faith Families, and really enjoyed the six-part series you did on launching your own business. Uh, For those who don't know, I'm a senior in high school, and apart from hosting this podcast, actually host a very popular podcast, history podcast, called The History of Vikings. Now, I like to think of it as a business, but I guess there's a lot of high schoolers out there who are uncertain of the direction they want to go whether it be launching a business, pursuing higher education, or working for someone else, what advice would you give to young people uncertain of the direction they wish to go? <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a big, broad question there. Um, what you listened to um, was preparation for uh, my stewardship. you mind if I talk about that for a second? Please do. Um, in 2000, uh, I'm going to say it was early 2000s. My wife asked me one day, she said, um, can you help us as a family um, with how you've learned how to run a business? Because what if something happens to you? Uh, all the family was working in some capacity in the business, but they were curious about how I uh, hired sales representatives and a lot of information like that. And so during our family devotions, um, I started talking and she took notes and the boys asked me questions and that one devotion ended up stringing out to many. And I started thinking, wow, I think there's some information here. I didn't realize that I had known as much as I had. And then uh, some of the customers that were using Matthew C were asking me to write a consumer math program. All of Matthew C, I don't know if you know this, but it's generic in the sense that it can be used in public, private, or Christian homeschools. doesn't make any difference. And so um, I started to write the consumer math just focusing on the math, but I quickly realized, I mean quickly, that I couldn't separate my faith from my wallet. Or as scripture says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be. And so our heart is connected to our treasure, which I like to think of as more than just our money, but it includes our time and our energy and using our gifts and talents for God's glory. So I started writing it and I decided to call it stewardship instead of consumer math, because there is definitely a consumer math uh, portion of it, but uh, it's all based on scriptural principles that I have applied in my own life. And uh, right now I am in the throes of just finishing up the revision to stewardship and I added a discipleship component along with the biblical principles, and I ended up adding several new lessons that are not only upgraded, but I'll read you some of the titles that I think you're referring to. Um, I have, you know, I have typical stuff on budgeting, credit cards, operating a car, the cost of owning a home, uh, 
income tax, earning money, things that I'm thinking that a 16, 17, 18-year-old person would be thinking about. But I also added five lessons this time called cost of post-secondary education, post-high school alternatives, applying for work and understanding yourself, an entrepreneur, and the difference between an employer and an employee. And those are the lessons that I think that you uh, probably listen to because my podcast, this was so real to me because I feel like when I'm writing stewardship, I'm writing to someone your age, Noah. Let me guess your age, 18? 18 in May, yes. Perfect. All right. So I, I feel like I'm pouring my life into this book. Stewardship is kind of Steve in the flesh. So it's not just what I've learned about handling money from God's perspective, but it's also what I've learned about running my own business. And um, I'm probably not as strong on being an entrepreneur as some people in the homeschooling world. <laughs> but I, um, because I, I look back, and, as, and you've heard this now if you listen to those episodes, I look back now with hindsight and I recognize that even though I had some, you might say, nine to five regular jobs where I was working for an employer, I worked in a cabinet shop, I worked in a public school. I worked in a private school. I worked in a Christian school. And those jobs prepared me when I went into starting Matthew C. I also did have my own businesses. I was a painting contractor, and I had a little company called Our Family Resources, which was really a joint company between my wife and sons and myself because it was all homeschool resources and curricula that we liked, and it worked for our family. I'm kind of big on not selling anything unless I already know the value of it and I've used it and applied it myself. So um, when, when you pull all those together, I can look back now and I realize that my experience in the classroom prepared me for writing Matthew C. But I also realized that when I was being a sales rep for all of those companies that our family resources represented, that I knew what it was like to be representing a company. And so when I had my own sales reps, I tried to treat them according to the golden rule. I, I treated them according to how I wish I've been treated. So this is a long answer to say, <laughs> um, in the stewardship book, I have five lessons on this, which is not only a half an hour for each lesson on the video, but it's also about five to eight pages in the teacher's instruction and, and answer keys. And one of the things that um, I want kids to get when they're working through stewardship is, I want them to hear my story, because that's the only story I really know well. But in every lesson, there's five pages per lesson, and in each one of those pages, there's a question that says, ask your parents, for example, when we're talking about being an employer or an employee, ask your parents, what was their favorite job and why? Ask your grandparents, what was their favorite job and why? Um, when it's talking about an entrepreneur, if your parents had their own business, what lessons have they learned? Because I'm trying to facilitate conversation between parents and the children because every set of parents has their own story. Every mom has her story. Every dad has their story. And I think, personally, I learn more from people's stories than I do from what I would call didactic material. You know, to me, um, well, I'll get real, real relevant. I just got back from Fort Worth for a homeschool conference where I spoke five times Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I flew home yesterday, Sunday. And I brought home the flight magazine because I wanted my son 
I want all my sons, actually all three of my older boys, we have four sons, to read this article about Herb Kelleher, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but he was the one that founded Southwest Airlines, and he passed away in January. He was 88 years old. I'm a huge fan of Southwest Airlines, and instead of taking a class on how to start your own airline, I would rather read stories about Herb, and I like to hear the stories of how Carabas started and how Outback Steakhouse started and, and how Chick-fil-A started, and I've, I've been at the original two Carabas. That's my favorite restaurant before I started losing weight. Um, <laughs> I like hearing people's stories. And some of the podcasts that I've just done recently, I interviewed Bob and Tina Farewell, well, Bob Farewell, and they had a business called Lifetime Books and Gifts, where they had a dream of going to homeschool conferences for six months in the year. And they lived out of a bus with their five children for six months of the year for, I think, 17 or 18 years. There's a podcast about that because I think we can learn from each other's stories. So if it was me doing this podcast, Noah, I'd be asking you questions about how you decided to start <laughs> your podcast, but you probably already told your listeners. But so what my advice is, I'm going to try to boil it down. Just do the things that God has given you to do and do them well. Um, when God gives you little things and you are faithful in those, he'll give you bigger things. And don't discount your own, um, your own gut. For example, I have a, another business. Actually, I have lots of business ideas. But I think that I came up with this, some of these business ideas because I needed to have this product or this service myself. And I looked around and nobody else had provided it. So I thought, why not? I mean, in my stewardship book, I talk about there's three kinds of people, those that say not now, those that say yes, but, and those that say why not. So I'm encouraging young people to be a why not, but I'm also encouraging them to be um, just diligent and honest because those kind of things, uh, those, you know, to be, have a sense of integrity and honesty and character, those things, you will move up the ladder. And so, for example, I was uh, a carpenter's helper for the entire summer after my senior year in high school. That meant a gopher. You know what a gopher is, Noah? No. (laughs) That's when all the other workers look at the two young guys. There was two high school students and they say, go for this and go for that. (laughs) Usually accompanied by some salty language. And then (laughs) it wasn't a, it wasn't a godly crew. But anyway, um, At the end of that summer where I worked long hours and I got paid minimum wage, which at the time was about $1.40 an hour. That's how old I am. And at the very end of the summer, my um, girlfriend's next door neighbors, they said, would you be willing to do some high painting for us? I didn't like to paint, but I had to get on a two-story ladder. It was actually pretty steep. I grew up in Pittsburgh. We have lots of hills in Pittsburgh. And they said, we need to, you need to take a little blowtorch and strip all the paint off this metal gutter. And then you need to go back over it with a quick drying primer. And then you need to put a finish coat. I did it. I was up on that ladder for five hot hours. And it took me five hours to do the job. And when I walked in, the man said, how much do I owe you? Well, I, I thought, well, I've been working for $1.40 an hour. So I could have said five times $1.40. But instead, I kind of gulped and took a little boldness, and I said, $15. Uh, That's three bucks an hour. And he wrote a check for $20 so fast, I knew I could have asked more. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I went home and talked to my father, who was a paint salesman. And he said, you realize that being up on a ladder for five hours, the work you did is specialty work. He said, people pay a lot of money to have that done. He was thrilled to have you do it for $20. So then their neighbors saw me painting this guy's house. And they asked me if I would do their high stuff on there. Uh, I think what you call it, the trim molding that goes all underneath the shutter of the uh, shingles, but it was a brick house. So it was just the trim. And I said, sure. So it took me eight hours and I charged them $32. And so in two jobs, I made $4 an hour, which was so much more, but I wouldn't have appreciated it if I hadn't been a carpenter, number one. And number two, I learned the value of just doing a good job because it's word of mouth. Neighbors see you working. So the next summer, that first house called me and they said, we'd like you to paint our whole house. Wow, I've never done that. I said, um, could I make you a deal? And they said, what? And I said, how about if you just pay me $3 an hour and then I'll learn about how long it takes me to do a job because I don't have any idea how to estimate how long it'll take me to do your house. And they said, deal. At the end of that job, I hired two of my buddies to work for me because I found out I didn't like certain parts of the job and I paid them $2 an hour. I was getting paid three. So now I made three plus the two from each of them. I was making five bucks an hour. And the next thing you know, I'm a painting contractor. And I did that for years in the summers, all through college and seminary as a painting contractor. So what lessons do you learn from that? No. <laughs> well, no, I think that's a, a wonderful story. And I think it's really about, you know, in that, in that story, in your experience as a painting contractor, I think, you know, that was something that just happened by itself in a way, something that happened so naturally. You were using the gifts that God has given you and you were taking advantage of the place you were at in your life. Yep. And as, as you remember when you listened to the other podcasts, um, I don't think you should go into a job. I learned this from interviewing an entrepreneur. He said, whenever you go into a job, you ought to have some kind of an advantage. He called it, a, he called it an unfair advantage. I like to call it a competitive advantage. But my competitive advantage is I was willing to do the work cheaper than, a, you might say, a professional painter. I also am six foot five and I can reach a long distance when I'm bumping a ladder. <laughs> and my father sold paint, so he was a resource for me. And when you put all those together, and then when I started hiring guys, I didn't have to put an ad in the paper and hit or miss, get guys that I had no idea about. I hired guys that were good character. And, and I learned a lot about hiring people, by the way, because I, I found out who, who was a hard worker. I found out who would listen, who would be cool. And um, that's one of the things I read from the founder of Southwest Airlines. He says, we don't hire people based on what they know. We hire their attitude because we can teach them how to do the job. What we're looking for is people with great attitudes. And if you've ever flown Southwest Airlines, almost without exception, their workers have great attitudes and they're just nice to be around. They're fun. They're professional. They're sharp. And yeah, I agree. In fact, of all my sales reps, which at one time I'd hired like 40 sales reps to sell Matthew C. Um, I didn't, I couldn't tell you which ones went to college or which ones didn't. What I was looking for were people that had servant hearts. We used to call them math missionaries. People whose primary desire was to help other people because I knew that if they were seeking to help other people, the money would follow. But if their primary goal was to make money, uh, that probably wouldn't work out in the long run. How's that? Keep yeah. asking questions. There's a whole bunch in here. I don't know what to, what to tell you next. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, 
I think that's a wonderful way of looking at it. And I too learn best from stories. And for those who are not familiar, could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to start Matthew C? Sure. Um, because it really, it, I shouldn't say flies in the face of, but, um, you know, my sons, when they were at a Christian college, they took classes on, you know, following your passion, identifying your passion and doing, and it was, it was based on what I discovered, a little research that Confucius and others were reputed to have said that if you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life because you're going to get up and you want to go to work, right? And I don't think I could have ever mapped this out. So I, I went to seminary when I graduated from college because I just wanted to follow Jesus fully. And I thought that was the best way to prepare for a lifetime of service. I never felt called to pastoral ministry. <laughs> I just wanted to know God and his word and be prepared, whether I was going to be a missionary, youth leader, whatever. So I graduated from seminary. We got married the next day. Nine months later, Isaac appeared. And uh, our first assignment was as an assistant to the pastor of a small church in Georgia. So we moved to Georgia from Massachusetts, where I was living at the time, and such a, such a small church that the people said, you might want to get a part-time job just to get to know the community. My first job was in a cabinet shop. My second job was substitute teaching, and I was only in there two weeks when they said, wow, we like you. Um, we have an opening in the middle of the school year. Would you be willing to start Monday? And I became a math teacher, high school level, with no education classes no math degree, and no teaching degree. <laughs> but I started teaching high school math, and I found out that I had a gift. I really enjoyed teaching those kids, and I'm not using that word lightly. Sometimes Christians say, you know, they try to give God glory, but I really mean it. I didn't know I had a gift for teaching or connecting with young people probably until that experience. So, the, so doing the job, it revealed what God had designed me to do. And I ended up teaching for several years, and then my son was born with Down syndrome, my fourth boy, and he had lots of surgeries, and we went through a very difficult year, and my wife and I both came to the end of ourselves. You can call it burnout. Hers was more physical burnout. Mine was more emotional, but we needed to find something different to do, so we left the pastoral ministry, which I had been ordained, and we left some other things we were doing. We moved to a different state to get our family back together, and I started tutoring children in math or science or PE, whatever it took to put bread on the table. And one group encouraged me to not just help them with their math program, but to be the entire math program, which was a little daunting. And so I said, okay. So I started writing four worksheets a week for these young kids that I would teach. And I would teach them with manipulative blocks on Monday, leave four worksheets for them to do Tuesday through Friday, and back again on Monday. And at the end of 25 weeks, we'd covered two and a half years of math. And I had 100 worksheets. And you know how homeschoolers network, and they start telling their friends. And people said, I want those worksheets. And so then I had to write a teacher's manual. And then I started doing uh, training seminars because most of us were not taught with blocks or manipulatives. So they said, how do we do it? I said, well, you get your buddies together and I charge them a small fee and I would put blocks on all the classroom tables and teach them about six years of math in six hours. And at the end of those six hours, um, they learned a whole bunch of math. One of the interesting thing was though, after a few months, they said, we forget what we learned. <laughs> so that led to making videos. And I'd already written another book or two to follow up on the first book. 
So within a short amount of time, I had books that covered about seven years of math, and I had videos to go with them, and I had reference manuals and solution manuals, and I just kept responding to the customer's requests. You know, my first videos were overview videos, and they said, we'd really like lesson-by-lesson videos, so I had to report again, and I just kept listening to the customer's needs and tailoring the program to meet them, and once I was able to put myself on video, I was able to replicate the teaching, and that allowed me to start hiring sales reps, which then we started forming Matthew C. Inc. Had sales reps all over the country, and interestingly, you probably didn't know this, we also have a South African edition of Matthew C. We have an Australian edition, a UK edition. We have a Philippines, I think, partial edition, and we have a UK version where we change word problems, we change spellings of words, we change their money, we change, we adapt Matthew C. to their particular culture. How's that for an overview? Well, you know, I'm in talking about, um, you know, sort of launching your own business. I'm sensing a common theme because you started tutoring and teaching math and you developed something that clearly worked and there was a definite need for it. And really that's how Matthew C. was born. So I'm, I'm sensing a common theme with that just in terms of uh, the story that you shared moments ago of your painting contracting business. So in terms of you know how can young people really take advantage of those lessons in their own life, I don't know, what would you say? Uh, perhaps people have something that they're passionate about. Perhaps they have an idea for something that they want to create. How do they sort of form that into something that they can share with others? Boy, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, it's a really funny thing. Until my wife asked me all these business questions, I hadn't really thought them through. Uh, the more she asked questions, the more it came out of me. And, you know, when I did, well, I was asked to speak at the Florida Homeschool Conference last year, and they asked for a workshop on being an entrepreneur. And that's when I started working on these materials about looking for a competitive advantage. Um, you know, what, what are your assets? What do you have to bring to the table? What are your gifts? I'd never really thought it. See if I can explain this. I'm just a, I just do stuff. <laughs> I, I don't think things through too much. I don't plan. I know that sounds really funny, but I'm not sure what I'm doing when I hang up here. Um, I just kind of do things. I have objectives. I have things that, I, that are on my list of stuff to do. And when I see a need, I respond to it. And I think of business opportunities. I get lots of ideas. Uh, one, of, one of the most frequent lines my wife has heard over the last 40 years is, hey, I got a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that the way God wired me is almost everything I see, I think of ways I could do it better. And some of that, I think, in reading the books that I have, I haven't read many, actually, but some of the things I've read on being an entrepreneur is that's part of my personality. I have a personality test in one of the lessons where uh, people who are uh, the DISC model, if you're a high D, which is what I am, then you, you just look at stuff and you think quickly and you're creative and you think, I could do that better if I did this, this, and this. And so... I just do stuff. And so for somebody to ask me, how did you do it? And how could I do what you did? is really difficult for me to, uh, but I would say this, the way I operate is when I see needs, I think, how can I meet those needs? Yes. Oh, I'll, I'll give you, a, I, I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which I don't know if you're aware, 
but next to Florida, we're the second most popular retirement destination on the East Coast. That's probably interesting to you. So we have a lot of older people here. And if I was young, I would start a business called Helping Hands or Extra Pair of Hands because elderly people need people just to do stuff they can't do anymore. They don't need a full-time gardener, but if somebody would just come over and charge $25, $20 an hour to help them clean out their garage, help them clean out their basement, help them carry out their trash, um, you know what would happen? You'd have more work than you can handle. Yeah. Now, that's to me because I saw a need. I saw, I can tell you some other needs, except I want to turn those into businesses myself. So <laughs> I already have the URLs for them. Yeah. But my son has a disability. My son, John, who's fourth, my fourth boy. And I just brought him home from working in the shipping department at Demi Learning. But you know what? People with disabilities need jobs. And they, Johnny gets up in the morning and he looks forward to work because that's when he gets to build self-image and self-respect and uh, pro provide a service and have value. All the things that a job does for all of us. But most people look at work in America as, oh, I can't wait to retire. I'm going to tell you something. Johnny doesn't want to retire, and neither do I. And secondly, I don't even believe it's in the Bible. Yes. Because if, if we're working to the glory of God and, and we found something that we love to do, let's keep doing it. But you know what? Helping people with disability is another huge area. To be a job assistant, to come along people with disability and work side by side with them or volunteer at your church. I mean, I could sit here and brainstorm all day about needs that I see just because of my limited sphere of influence. If God wants you to have a job and you want to start your own, I just think take whatever idea you have and jump in. And even if it doesn't fly, you're going to learn lessons that are going to help you for the second job that you jump into. My first job was cutting grass. No, no, shoveling snow. Because there was a need. And the people in the neighborhood knew me, and I would go up to them with my buddy. I'd call a buddy. I said, let's go shovel driveways. He said, okay. And we'd, we'd say, $5 a driveway. Done. We each made $250. We'd knock on the next door. We'd make a couple bucks. And then in the summer, I started knocking on doors. I said, who would like me to cut their grass? And I found a couple people, and I had a regular source of income all summer. But what's interesting is then that led into, I even did tree removal for a little bit because somebody, I was cutting their grass and they saw me across the street and they said, hey, would you cut down this tree? I, I, I says, man, I love climbing trees and chopping stuff up with axes and saws. I'd almost paid him to do it. Yeah. And <laughs> he probably saved a couple hundred bucks and I made a couple bucks. It was win-win. And that's the thing, those two words probably govern me the most. I think that if you're doing a job well, it's win-win. It's win for the person you did the work for. It's win for you because you're recompensed for your time. And you might be at somebody's house and the next thing you know, they say, hey, would you like to help me move some furniture this weekend? And the next thing you know, you and your buddy have a pickup truck and you're doing small moving jobs. And, you know, does that help? Yeah, that's, that's very helpful. You know, there's so much we could get into, and uh, I absolutely implore people to check out your podcast series as well as the um, things on stewardship that you mentioned before. But sort of as a, uh, a final question here, you know, what does the Bible say about work and entrepreneurship? I'm sure you, you know, you've talked about that a great deal, and it's something that um, I, I mean, we all know that the Bible talks about, you know, finances, but I think working and whether it's running a business or working for someone else is, is kind of different than managing your finances. So 
what are some of the things that um, you've really taken to heart from the Bible in terms of how we ought to work? Okay. So here, before I forget, I just thought of another great idea for your listeners. What do you think, I can do this by, by the Socrates method. What do you think would be a skill set that a 17-year-old would have that somebody who is 67 would not have? Hmm. And something that the 17-year-old does it intuitively and the 67-year-old struggles operating in social media or working on their computer. Yes. You could have a consulting service because you got that geek squad thing, but I know you could beat them price-wise. And you just walk up and down the street and say, would you like some help learning how to do Facebook? You know, worry about Instagram later. But if you can get them on Facebook and how to send texts and how to hit reply instead of reply all and how they answer their emails, how to set up their filters, all these kind of, I'm a pretty techie guy for my age, but you know what? This generation, they, they often don't have anybody to do that. I think that would be a huge service. The second one is tutoring. I've always wanted to do this. It was to take students that used Matthew C and just do a little quick training for them and teach them how to be a tutor and then put up a sign in the library and says, math help. You know how many people would love to have their 11 or 12-year-old learn from a cool 16 or 17-year-old and learn basic principles of math, fill in some holes, build their foundation, teach some concepts, and you get paid, and they get the service, and you might even win one of them to Christ. So another idea. See, I got lots of ideas. Okay, so entrepreneurs in the Bible, the first one that pops in my head, you're going to laugh at, because he's a guy that has a similar story than me. How did Joseph become the prime minister of Egypt? (laughs) And when you look at his life in the scripture, first he went from being a slave in Potiphar's home, then he gets persecuted for doing the right thing and thrown into prison, and, and then he tells dreams to two key prisoners, and they forget And so he's in there for a couple more years. Now, if you and I were in Joseph's shoes, we might naturally think, where's God in all this? But when you do a little hindsight, what better way to learn the language of Egypt than to live in Potiphar's household, be in charge of it, and start learning how the commerce works, right? Yeah. Second thing is, then he's in prison. Who's he interacting with? According to what we see, people of influence and power. This was like where all the Pharaoh's chief prisoners went. So This guy already knows who's connected. You can imagine the scuttlebutt he learned when he was in there. He not only learned a language, he learned a commerce. He learned how the the government operated. He knew who was who. He learned to know God. He learned to rely on God himself. He learned to be led by God. Next thing you know, all those traits that he needed to be the prime minister of Egypt and save the nation of Israel, he got by the circuitous route not by going to prime minister school, not by going to Egypt language school, not by all the things we would think he needed. God had a plan. So if you seek first the kingdom and put God first and fall in love with him and trust him, he will lead you. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, he'll bring it to pass. And the second one would be David. Same thing. David is alone. He's rejected by his family. He's taking care of stupid sheep. He's defending these stupid sheep against bears and lions. He learns where all the water holes are in the wilderness. He learns where all the caves are. 
And when he becomes king, he uses all those skills. Instead of shepherding stupid sheep, he's shepherding people. He's taking them to the water holes when Saul's chasing them through the wilderness. He learns how to defend and lean on God to protect him. And he didn't have a 30-06. All he had was a st- slingshot. <laughs> and, and as I look at David's life, I see how God uniquely prepared him for his role through the University of Hard Knocks. And, and Moses would be the same way. You think Moses had fun out in the wilderness for 40 years taking care of dumb sheep? Then he had 40 years to lead the children of Israel through the wilderness? Again, needy sheep. I shouldn't keep saying dumb. But <laughs> So I think that um, trust God. And I don't mean that uh, lightly. I mean, you know, it says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And when I was asked, when I was working at the cabinet shop, if I was going to be working there permanently, I gulped and I said, no, actually, my first responsibility is to the church. I said that right up front and I thought I might lose the job because of that interview. Turned out later, they said, when they gave me a recommendation to the school system, they said, we, we appreciated the fact that he was honest and upfront. So, if you, in all your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your paths. That's my chief advice. That's great advice. And I think, you know, these, uh, you know, stories in the Bible, these stories of great men and women that we're all so familiar with, um, we often don't really think about it in that light. I mean, namely the story of Joseph, you know, being prime minister of Egypt, a massive and wealthy kingdom during the ancient times. Uh, how would one gain the skills to be an effective prime minister while well, it's, you know, when he was in prison, God was preparing his heart for that. I think that's incredible. So what do you think there? You think we hit the parts where you wanted to hit, Noah? Yes, absolutely. No, this was uh, an incredibly insightful conversation, and I've absolutely enjoyed every minute of it. So thank you so much, Mr. Demi. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Homeschool Enthusiast. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Twice a week, we bring you a message of hope and freedom, remembering that every student has unlimited God-given potential, and the best learning happens outside of classrooms. 